Hey, it's good to see you all this morning. Um, let me ask you, if you will, go ahead and turn your Bibles, uh, if, you, if you've got it, to Ephesians chapter 5. Um, and we're going to be looking at, at the core of this, this whole idea of marriage and the gospel. And, and as we get into this, we're kind of walking back through a lot of the things that we've uncovered in the book of Ephesians already. But primarily, the book of Ephesians is really this. How the gospel impacts every aspect of your life. But we call the gospel life-changing and transformational. And, and, and sometimes we, we look at how the gospel is talked about and perceived in church and how we talk about it, how we go to Sunday school, and, and it sometimes doesn't actually get down to the finer details of, of who we are. Now, if you're truly transformed, if you're truly changed, then it will bleed over into every aspect of, of your life. And so we have this idea this morning that we're going to uncover, we're going to engage as it pertains to marriage and the gospel. If you're married this morning, the gospel has something very strong to say about your marriage. If you're not married this morning, if there's hope for a future marriage, the gospel will change and transform your view of how that marriage should behave and how that marriage should be if you were married. Don't look at this as a, man, this sermon doesn't apply to me. Because the gospel transforms us and I believe what we will see in this is how the gospel transforms us through our marriages. And so those who are unmarried, whether it's yet to happen or you've had a spouse taken from you or a marriage that dissolved, I want you to rejoice in the God who gives the power of the gospel and gives us to one another and gives marriage for the joy of of knowing one another. So we come into this passage of Scripture, and before we get there, before we even read it, let's, I've got five foundational truths that we've got written there um, that I want us to just kind of kind of lay the framework. Um, five foundational truths that kind of get us where we go with the book of Ephesians on this whole idea of marriage and the gospel. And, and it's because I want us all to see that marriage changes us for the better. But it all starts with the very simple truth, universal truth, that marriage is the union of two sinners. Marriage is the union of two sinners. It doesn't matter this morning if you're a Christian or not with that truth. If you're not a Christian, you are a sinner and your spouse is a sinner. If you are a Christian, you're a sinner and your spouse is a sinner. And all of us are in these engagements with sinners. Uh, marriage is the union of two people who are in sin. The Bible tells us that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Every single one of us, regardless of age, regardless of financial status, regardless of social status, 
regardless of ethnic background, regardless of education, regardless of anything, whether you're whether you're good looking or not good looking, overweight, underweight, somewhere around the weight, somewhere, you are in sin because you are a sinner and your marriage is made up of two people that are sinners. You know what that means? Your marriage has problems because of sin. That's foundational truth number two. It's not, it's not the baggage you brought to your marriage that creates the problem. It's not who didn't put the toilet seat up or down. It's not who left the cabinet door open. It's not who didn't pay that bill. It's not the, the reason you have problems in your marriage is because of sin. Period. There was a perfect marriage at one time. The book of Genesis in chapter 2 ends this way. The man and his wife were there. They were naked and they were not ashamed. And it was a wonderful picture of life before sin entered the world. But because sin entered the world, you have problems in your marriage because you're a sinner and your spouse is a sinner. I know. You're wanting to nudge your spouse right now and say, Liz, he's talking about you, sinner. Um, you're wanting to like make it say, I'm up here so Christy can't get me with her elbow to say, hey, listen, you need to listen to yourself right now. If, if you are a human, you're a sinner, and because you're married doesn't make you oblit or make you immune to sin. I want you to think back to your most recent argument or dispute in your marriage. I want you to think about your most recent dispute at work. Well, somebody, if you're not married to me, I mean, obviously if you're not married, it's somebody you're not married to. But, but wherever you are, just think about your last disagreement. At some level it came, not, not disagreement, I'm talking about actual problem. Argument, fight, disappointment. At some level, you point back and there was sin involved. And it might not have been like, you know, the gross outright sin that's so easy to define. It might not have been adultery. It, it, it might not have been um, lying. It might not have been gossip. But it could have been the sin of pride got in the way. Pride sneaks into your marriage and sneaks into your life and sneaks into your heart to say that what you want, you what you think, what you feel is above everything else. And if people don't act according to your purpose, your plan, and what you want, you're going to get married. That's the sin of pride. It, it creeps in. And you know how many marriage fights could be solved if there were no pride? I'm not talking about, hey, I'm proud of you, you're, you're, you're my wife, or you're my husband, I'm proud to be married to you. I'm talking about the pride of my way or the highway. I also believe that a lot of marriage disputes could be solved if they just make blankets a little bit bigger. <laughs> Some of y'all will get that later. <laughs> but I want you to think through that. If your marriage has problems because of sin, a lot of times it's your sin. A lot of times with your spouses. But because there is sin existing in the world, and because our relationships are comprised of two people who are sinners, there's got to be something more than just, well, once I get married, all of my problems will go away. One of my favorite songs is an old Beach Boys song. It's called, Wouldn't It Be Nice? Wouldn't it be nice if we were older? Then we wouldn't have to wait so long. And the whole thing is about if we could just get married, everything would be perfect. That's that Disney utopia. You meet Prince Charming, and all I mean, 
You never see what happens to Cinderella after Prince Charming. I mean, I'm sure there's some issues there. You never see what happens. Uh, you never see what happens to, to Beauty and the Beast once he stops being the Beast. I'm sure he's probably a little beastly even after he transforms back. It all gets left in this magical wonderland that they're riding off, and the marriage is all that it matters. But everybody knows that your Prince Charming is going to turn back into the oaf, and your your dream princess is she's always going to be the dream princess. But then sin gets involved. And sin has been involved. And sin creates problems. Personal, relational problems. But see, that's why Christian marriage is a little different. Because Christian marriage is not just the union of two sinners. Christian marriage is a union of two sinners who admit their sin. See, that's what separates us from everyone else on the planet. Yeah, we're all sinners. But Christians have realized that there is sin and that we've got to confess that and we've got to repent of that and we have to walk away from that. So when you come into a marriage as a follower of Christ, as a Christian, you are now in a position where each one of you, though you are sinners, you have admitted, yes, I am a sinner as the foundation of your faith. That's what we just taught our kids at Vacation Bible School just a couple of weeks ago. We taught them a song about the ABCs. I'm not going to do the dance motions for you. I'm sure William's got a video somewhere around uh, from his, uh, his ventures throughout Vacation Bible School. But we teach the kids. We taught them, A, admit to God that you're a sinner. See, there is no salvation if there is no admission of sin. Maybe you were as disgusted as I was during the 2016 political, um, they called it an election, but it was more of a circus. Um, but the statement of then-candidate, now-President Trump, that he made to faith leaders in America, where he said, and I quote, I would gladly repent of sin if I had any sin of which to repent. That is antithetical to the gospel. That is antithetical to the gospel. Remember what Jesus said. I didn't come for those who were already well. I didn't come for the righteous, but I came for the unrighteous, that they would see I am the Son of God, that they would know that God is serious about us. And because God is serious about us, we see His glory, we see His majesty, we see the sacrifice of Christ, and we say, I am unworthy, I am unholy, I have sin in my life. As a Christian, your first step is admitting that you have sin. And in Christian marriage, you come together as two sinners who have said, there's sin in my life. Not only is there sin in your life, but Christian marriage is dependent, or foundational truth number four, is dependent on each person finding forgiveness in and expressing forgiveness through Jesus Christ. See, it's not just enough to say, I sinned. The gospel doesn't call us to just admit that we've sinned. The gospel calls us to trust in Christ for the forgiveness and the removal of our sin. That Jesus Christ, in shedding His blood, remember this is what this was the whole plan. Ephesians chapter one. 
before the foundation of the world, God determined that he was going to adopt us into sons. How? By the redeeming, atoning blood of Jesus Christ, his own son. He was going to pull us into his family. So it wasn't just as like, oh yeah, yeah, I lied to my mama and that was wrong. Yeah, I got angry with that guy at the red light because he cut me off, but that was wrong. That's, it's not just enough to say I did it wrong. We don't even let our kids get away with that, right? Let's just say you've got a seven-year-old and four-year-old in your house. And one's a boy and one's a girl. This is nobody that I know personally. Let's just say you've got a seven-year-old boy and a four-year-old girl in your house. And, and the four-year-old girl intentionally goes and takes an item that the seven-year-old boy is using and then hits them with it on purpose. Now, you go to that four-year-old little girl and you talk to them about why that was wrong, but you expect her to not just say, yes, that was wrong of me to hit my brother with that. What do you have her do? You have her go to her brother and say, I'm sorry that I hit you with it. Now, it's up for debate whether or not she means it or if she's just compelled because mom and dad said she had to do it. But you expect them to do something other than to say, oh yeah, I shouldn't have done that. See, the gospel comes to us and says, it's not just that you sin, it's that you've got to find forgiveness for your sin somewhere else. And then you bring it to marriage and you've got to start expressing that forgiveness. This is, this is basically being a Christian 101, but you're in a little closer home, a little closer relationship. You found your forgiveness in Christ, and so because of that, you express your forgiveness through Christ. Believe me, there is no relationship where Christ-like forgiveness is more valuable and more readily understood than in the marriage. Oh yeah, man, I love doing premarital counseling. I love it. I spend the first six weeks of premarital counseling. I meet, meet with them for 10, sometimes 11 uh, sessions or whatever. And, and the first five or six, I spend literally trying to scare the marriage out of them. Literally trying to scare the marriage out of them. You're like, heaven, you really not like marriage? I love marriage. Outside of coming to Christ Jesus, getting married is the best decision I ever made. I love it. I wouldn't trade being married to Christy to anything. But I also know that marriage requires work and it's not always just lovey-dovey all the time. Sometimes you've got to get real with stuff. Yeah. Sometimes you've got to put yourself away so that you can go for the marriage. And so I spend the first six weeks isolating individuals. We start looking at all the baggage your mom and dad put on you that you're going to bring to the relationship, all the expectations and all these things about who you are as an individual because when you come into a marriage, when you come together, it's no longer two, but now you're one. See, you don't get salt unless sodium gives up one of its neutrons to connect with the chloride and they give up a little bit of themselves to become one. Yeah, you got sodium. Yeah, you got chloride, but they're not salt until they come together. Same in marriage. And see, when you have experienced the forgiveness of Christ Jesus, but you do not express that forgiveness through Christ Jesus in your home, in your marriage, you are in for some serious trouble. And expressing forgiveness through Christ Jesus is not pacifying the other person. It's not giving in to every whim and every desire and everything. It is experiencing the holiness of God through what He's doing in your life, in your relationship. 
It's not a license to be a doormat. It is the opportunity to be sanctified to another image bearer of God. That only happens when you're expressing forgiveness through Jesus Christ. But then we got foundational truth number five. Foundational truth number five is this, that a Christian marriage is built, built on two sinners who are overcoming their sin as they walk through life together. They're growing in Christ. And they're overcoming sin together. You know, it baffles me sometimes the number of people that took two sides of the same thing that baffled me. The, the one side of there's the people that expect that once they come to Jesus, all their problems are going to go away. I've read the Bible through a few times. I've, I've never seen the verse in Scripture say, so if you can find it, you can help me find it. The one where Jesus says, Come to me, all you who are weary laden, I'll take away all your problems in life and be peaches and puppies forever. I've never heard him, I never saw that one. I saw the one where he said, hey, come to me, you who are heavy laden, I'll give you rest. Take on my burden, for my yoke is easy, my burden is light. You know what the yoke is? That's, that's a work tool. That's a burdensome tool, but he's carrying it with you. I saw the verse that said, cast your cares on Christ because he cares for you. I saw the verse that said, you know what? I asked God several times, three times to take this thorn away from my side. But he said, I'm not taking it away from you. Instead, I want you to experience my grace because my grace is sufficient for you because my power is made perfect in your weakness. Amen. And never said I'm taking your problems away. He said, I'm walking with you through these problems. Your sin doesn't go away just because you came to Jesus Christ. I wish you did. I wish the day that I professed faith in Christ Jesus, I never had another sin ever in my life. Period. That would have been awesome. But instead, I need the grace of God every single day to help me walk and help my wife and I walk together as we overcome sin together. Not manage our sin, overcome by the power of the cross, overcome by the blood of Jesus Christ. That's what makes a Christian marriage. Do you know what this is? This is the gospel. This is the gospel in your life. This is the gospel at work in you right now as you are being sanctified. As the Bible says, as you who are saved and who are being saved. That's not just talking about those that will continue to come to Christ later on through. It's talking about you right now as you, under the power of the Holy Spirit, overcome the power of sin in your life because the Spirit of God is filling you. Why? Because He promised that He would bless us with every spiritual blessing in the heaven. Starting with our adoption. Starting with giving us a position and an opportunity to know Him. So, what do we do with it? Glad you asked. Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5, starting verse 22, it says this. Wives, be subject to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ also is the head of the church, he himself being the Savior of the body. But as the church is subject to Christ, so also the wives ought to be to their own husbands in everything. Husbands love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, that he might present to himself the church in all of her glory.
glory, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she would be holy and blameless. So husbands ought to also love their own wives as they love their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his flesh, but nourishes it and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is great, but I am speaking with reference to Christ and the church. Nevertheless, each individual among you is to love his own wife, even as himself, and the wife must see to it that she respects her husband. Let's, let's pray together. Father, at no point do we demonstrate a more countercultural idea than in our biblical approach to marriage. To how the gospel has transformed our view of this union that we enjoy. At no point do we find more solace and, and rest for our soul than in knowing what your word has called us to do, but nowhere else, Lord, do we really have to depend on you to walk according to your word than we do when we walk with those closest to us in grace, in peace, in love, and in the forgiveness of Jesus Christ. God, give us ears and give us wisdom this morning as we hear your word, and we ask this in the name of Christ. You're not going to see this passage of Scripture lauded by society. You're, you're, you're not going to see these verses being on the bumper sticker of pop culture right now. I mean, once you just look at the countercultural ideal that it's calling us all to, mutual submission to one another as we submit to God. Following something bigger than just our own pleasure, our own ideas, our own thoughts and what we want. Our own dreams and aspirations. See, the gospel transforms our marriages in a magnificent way because of what he says. This mystery is great because I am speaking in reference to Christ and his church. Just kind of pull it in here and ask you just real, real close, real intimately. What does your marriage say about your belief of the gospel? See, ultimately what this pictures is what we truly hold dear and true to be about what God did for us in Christ Jesus. What God did for us in uniting us to Him by the blood of the cross. And it's not the easiest, it's not the cleanest, it's not the simplest. But it's the way of the Spirit of God leading us through His Word. So let's look at this, this sanctification that takes place through marriage. And, and, and I just want to submit to you this morning as we go through this, even if you are unmarried, that the Word of God applies because it might not be the perfect one-to-one -one correlation for your relationship. It demonstrates how the gospel shapes, uh, shapes and shifts the way we uh, interact and relate with one another. Yeah. And it starts with the, the ladies. 
And it says in verse 22, Wives, submit yourselves or be subject to your own husbands. The, the command is clear and simple for the wives. Submit to your husbands. I know. It's a big statement. Kind of sounds like a harsh statement. Kind of sounds like a very uh, patristic, heavy-handed, uh, man's in charge of everything. No, no, no. Let, let, let's kind of back out a little bit before we, before we get riled up. I know. I live with a woman. I know. It's not always what people in society, even in the church, want to hear. But give me a second to explain to you why Paul writes these words. Look at what he says. Be subject to your own husbands, as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ also is the head of the church. This is not a superiority thing. This is not an inferiority thing. This is not a women, you're not worth, you're not where the man is, you're below the man, you're a subpar creature. It, it's, it, you're, you're just there for, for the whims and the wiles of the man. That's all you are. So just, no, no. This is not a license to be a doormat. What Paul is describing here is the idea of headship. And in biblical terms, in biblical terminology, in God's economy, headship is a position of being covered. So he puts in a position here the Christ church relationship and says, look at this. The, the, the Lord Christ is the head of the church. Now let's just think a little bit about that. He tells us over chapter 1, verse 22, he says that we uh, submit ourselves to Christ who is the head of the church and is before all things and in all things. So we come to this passage of Scripture, we start looking at what it means for Christ to be the head. Now, that's the leader, obviously, but it's also the one who covers. In other words, what that means is we have the covering of Christ on us so long as we are in Christ. We have the covering of Christ on our lives, on us for all things, so long as we, the church, His bride, place ourselves under His covering. It's, this is a bad analogy, but I'm going to use it anyway. It's kind of like insurance. So, so, so we've got insurance on our vehicle. And it's not going to do me any good to not pay the insurance premiums and then expect that the insurance company is going to cover my vehicle should I be in an accident. As long as I am covered by them, they are ultimately responsible for me. Headship is a term of covering. And I want you to see what God, what God is placing in point, in, in point here. It says, wives, submit yourselves to your husband, wait for it, as to the Lord. As to the Lord. You, as a follower of Christ, are ascribing to the headship of God in Christ Jesus in all things. And therefore, you're placing yourself under Him. And on earth, it looks like just the covering, the headship, the leadership of your husbands. I know. That's countercultural. I know. That sounds very, very heavy. But let me go and pick on the men for just a minute and we're going to come back to it, okay? Let's go to the men because the men bear the brunt of the weight in this passage of Scripture. And I, I believe that the reason we have this headship thing wrong is because it starts with where the men are in relationship to this headship. Look what he says. He says to the men, 
He says, um, Wives be subject to your husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is also the head of the church. Men, Paul is calling us, the Word of God, God Himself in Scripture is calling us to model Christ in our homes. Plain and simple. Plain and simple. You catch the parallel? Maybe the reason submission and, and this, this idea of headship is hard for a lot of women's is because they women's women is because they've never seen a man model Christ in the home. Look at what he says. Yeah? You in the parallel are the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, he himself being the savior of the body. But as the church is subject to Christ, so also the husbands ought to be subject to their husbands and everything. So husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church. Guys, man, here's the deal. Everything through here, he points us back to what Jesus Christ does and how we must emulate Christ in our homes. Period. Above everything else. It's not one of those, well, Man, you're, man, you are the biggest fool in the world if you go home to your wife. Did you hear the preacher? He said, Well, you gotta submit to me. She's gonna smack you with a frying pan. I'm not gonna blame her. I'm not gonna blame her, and I'm not gonna come see you in the hospital. <laughs> you're gonna be knocked out cold, mad at the preacher for not showing up why it's because you're a fool, man. Come on. Model Christ. Look at what he says. There are five things he gives you. Five things he gives for us. In this whole idea of modeling Christ. Look at what he says to start. He says, the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church. Then you've got to be a leader. You've got to be a leader. And leadership does not always look the same. It doesn't mean that you've got to be the lion and the pride. It doesn't mean that you've got to be ahead of the pack. It doesn't mean that you've got to be the dynamic, forceful, out there in front. But it means that you are the one steering the ship and you are leading your wife, you are leading your family to Christ. You are leading your family to the gospel. He says there in this passage of Scripture, he says, the man is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church. What did Christ do? Where does he lead? He leads to the throne of God, period. Period. If you're not leading your wife, lead your family to the throne of God, you're going to have these issues. They build upon one another. You're going to have the struggle of, 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 of what can we come out in Genesis chapter 3, where there is that rebellion of all creation against the man because of sin. Remember, marriage is the union of two sinners, and your problem, your marriage has problems because of sin. Period. And maybe the sin that's in your marriage is that you're not leading your family. You're not leading your wife to God. Yeah. Jesus said, I didn't come to seek and to save uh, uh, that which was found. I came to seek and save that which was lost. You don't go to the doctor when you're feeling good. You go to the doctor when you're sick. And I haven't come to call the, come to call the righteous, those that think they don't need me to repentance, but the unrighteous. So we are not just saying, well, my family's unrighteous. Yeah, your family's unrighteous. Take them to the cross. Lead them to God. Lead them to the throne. Lead them to grace. And then he goes on a little bit further and says, but husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her. Men, you've got to be a lover. And I know most of you are like, yeah, I can handle that part. I can handle the love part. Woo, yeah. No, no. That's a different kind of love. 
Yeah, that's good in marriage. That's not what it's all about. You see the kind of love that he talks about? He says, love your wives as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her. You can't be the same 18, 19 year old man you were when you met your wife and still have a happy marriage and show that you're loving and giving yourself up for her doesn't mean that you decide to go with the squishy toilet seat instead of the hard toilet seat. It doesn't matter what color the curtains are, the carpet are, all these little peripherals. I'm talking about your very way of who you are has to be changed and different because you've said, it's not me anymore, it is us. And the parts of me that are getting in the way of us have to die. That's the gospel. Jesus in His flesh said, this part of me is going to die so that we can be us and you can be a child of God by faith in me. He did, for, he, he did that for His bride. The church for us. But most of the time then, that righteous brothers, you lost that love and feeling. The reason that's crept into your family it's not because your wife doesn't think that you're hot. It's not because your wife doesn't think that you're, you're, you're the sexiest man alive. It's because you haven't shown her that you love her with a self-sacrificing love that would put everything else aside for her as you lead her to the cross. And love is a whole lot more than just holding hands and having a little kiss on the cheek every now and again. It is an all-encompassing take everything you have and transform it for the good. For her. Jesus who gave up the riches and glory of heaven to come and sacrifice Himself for us. Yeah, that's your model. Love your wife just as Christ loved His church and gave Himself up for her. My heart breaks for for women who have been in my way or the highway relationships. Yeah, the Bible does point to the headship of the man, but the headship of the man doesn't mean that you got to be a jerk about it. The headship of the man is to love your wife as Christ and the church. I'm going to get off that one. The third one he gives us here says there in verse 26 that he might, look, look, this is the purpose. Why he gave himself up for her, verse 26, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word that he might present to himself the church in all of her glory, having no wrinkle or spot or any such thing, but that she would be holy and blameless. Men, not only do you have to lead, not only do you have to love, men, you are to be a purifier. A purifier. And let, let me just be clear. You can't save your wife. You cannot. You might be able to pull her out of a burning house. You might be able to rescue her from a car that's sinking in a river. But you cannot save her soul. So don't try. But you can point her to the gospel in such a way that she, remember, two sinners, through Jesus Christ, overcoming their sin together. You can help her grow in holiness. Look at what he says. The reason he loved us and gave himself up was so that we could be made holy. That we could be sanctified, having been cleansed. I love verse 27. That he might present to himself the church in all of her glory, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing. I mean, 
Man, how, how much time does your, does your wife sleep in on the makeup row at Walmart or the grocery store trying to figure out all those things that cover up the spots and the wrinkles and the blemishes, right? So, some of you, some of you, some, some men here, uh, yeah, you've, uh, you've experienced this. I've never experienced this. I've seen it on TV and I've watched it uh, being made fun of. The, you know, uh, the face mask or whatever. The, the, the green cream and like the... I don't know why they put cucumbers on their eyes when they do this thing. I don't, I, I don't know why you do anything with a cucumber, to be honest with you. But the, the face cream, so men, some of you had this experience before. You go to bed, you wake up the next morning, your wife stays up after you do because she puts the, the mask and everything on. You wake up the next morning, you've got a zombie over here in the bed beside you with this green face. Cold cream, I think is what they call it. We do everything to try to cover and so many times in our marriages, rather than address sin and point to the forgiveness of God in Christ Jesus, we try to cover it. We try to put spanks on it. We try to do everything we can to cover the blemish and cover the spot and cover the wrinkle and make sure that we've got oxy over here and noxema over here and we've got all these things to take away the spots, the spots and the wrinkles and the blemish. But what Jesus did was He simply washed us with His blood so that He could say, look, you're ready for me because I have washed you and you are pure. You are to show your wife, show your family how to wash in the blood of God and the blood of Christ through the Word of God that she may be brilliant before Him. Maybe rather than say be a purifier, uh, man, I need to tell you this part. You're not getting your wife ready for you. You're getting her ready for another man. For the King of Kings. For the Prince of Peace. For the Great I Am. You can't do that if you're not leaving her. You can't do that if you're not loving her. You can't. But you know what? The gospel gives you the ability to do it. The gospel gives me the ability to point my wife and my kids and my family to the love of God in Christ Jesus and not just say, well, you're a big sinner, you need to go to Jesus, but to say, let's overcome this sin together. It baffles me the number of people that know the gospel and, and know what Jesus did but still expect everybody else to figure their own way out of the hole. That's not what God did for us. He didn't say, all right, you, you got to get holy because I'm holy and just figure it out on your own. He said, no, I'm going to show you the way and I'm going to put you in a community with other men and women in the church and because you're a follower of me, your marriage is going to picture this gospel because y'all are walking towards purification together. And then he says this, so husbands ought to also love their own wives as their own body. He who loves his own wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes it. And you got to be a source of nourishment. You want to know how to purify your wife from the washing water of the Word? You want to know how to lead your family, lead your wife to the gospel of Jesus Christ? you got to be a source of nourishment. I'm not talking about putting bread on the table. I'm talking about putting the bread of life in her heart. Leading your family in the Word of God. And I'll admit to you, this is where I struggle. <laughs> I, I struggle because I get preacher, but I'm talking we laughed about this when I met with the search team uh, for this church last year. And, 
we kind of laughed about it a little bit because I can't preach about it. You know, every time I'm around somebody and they ask me a Bible question, I go, oh, this is what the Bible says. We teach this. We look at this. I want to break it. If I do that at my house with my wife, she is going to shut me up quick. She doesn't need me to be her preacher. She needs me to be her husband. She, she doesn't need me to, to, to sit down and break out a three-point sermon with these sub-points and this, this nice little illustration. She, she just needs me to help her walk towards Christ. So, so don't get the idea, men, that you've got to take your wife home and go through this nine-week nine Bible study with them and point them to this and make sure they understand the correct parsing of that Greek word that you don't know that's right there, but you read it somewhere. Don't put that pressure on yourself. But do with the Word of God the nourishing of the soul. Maybe that source of nourishment comes as giving your wife a break sometimes. Sometimes your wife just needs an opportunity to not be around you and not be around the family and be with other women of God. Sometimes that opportunity comes where your wife doesn't need to be around other women of God. She just needs to be somewhere else for a little while where she can see God's face. Give her those opportunities. Help her be nourished by the Word. And then the fifth one is to be one who cherishes. Notice he says there, he says, No one ever hated his own flesh, but he nourishes it and cherishes it, just as Christ also does the church. Here we go again, guys, modeling Christ in our marriage. Modeling Christ in the home. Cherishing. Man, do you remember the song by the association from the 60s? Cherishes the word I used to describe Oh, he talks about, man, you can, you can hear him crooning so deeply over how much he cherishes. He doesn't just love this woman. He cherishes it. See, that's the beauty of the word cherish, because we can use love for a lot of things. I love football. I love pizza. And I love my wife. Sounds to me, if I say it like that, that I love my wife the same way I love pizza the same way I love football. Now, that not be true. Is it true, baby? It's not true. Yes. Pass the test. But see, there's no mistake when you use the word cherish. See, cherish goes beyond love and carries the connotation of holds within supreme value. So what Jesus tells in the parable of the buried treasure. Maybe you remember this parable. He's talking about a man who's digging in a field that wasn't his and he finds this treasure and he sees how wonderful the treasure is. He loves it so much that he buries it back up, goes and sells all that he has, everything, liquidates all of his assets so that he can buy the field. Because when he buys the field, he has the treasure. And that treasure was everything worth everything to him. That's what it means to cherish that's what it means to cherish something. Jesus himself gave up all the treasure of heaven, all the treasure of the glory of God, in order to purchase us with his own blood. And if we love our spouses, if we love our wives that way, then there is nothing else. It's not just a, I'll take a bullet for you. It's not just a, I'm going to live here and split responsibilities. It is everything else in the world comes second to you. The kids job, friends, everything. That's cherishing. And notice what he does here. He says that, that 
They should love their wives as their own bodies. Any of you starving yourself this week? No. You're going to get hungry. You're probably starting to get hungry now. It's 12 o'clock, so we'll be done here in about 35, 45 minutes, an hour, something like that. So you're starting to get hungry right now, right? When you get hungry, you want to eat. But most of us, when we get hungry, we just walk over to this other little closet in our house where we've got all kind of food, uh, enough food that would feed a family in a village of Africa for probably a month, but it barely gets our family by like, you know, two days. And you look over there and you're like, well, I don't want that. I don't want that. Or maybe you're hungry enough, you're going to go drive down 74 and like, Ferris got all these fast food places, but I don't want fast food, so I'm going to head on down to Peachtree City so I can get a real food, a real sit-down restaurant. We all have these things. We're hungry. We're going to feed ourselves, right? Why? Because we love the body. We don't like the pain. We don't like the, the feeling of hunger. We don't like the neglect that requires. Because we cherish ourselves. But he says here that we, in the same way we love our bodies and love ourselves, we must cherish our lives. And he pulls it back to the mystery. He said, the mystery is great. I'm talking about Christ and the church. And, and, and I just want you to come back down here in verse 33 with me for just a second. Let's, let's just kind of camp out there because I told the ladies I'd get back to them. It says, nevertheless, each individual among you is to love his own wife even as himself. And the wife must see to it that she respects her husband. That, that, that kind of pulls it back up to that whole headship thing. Now, now ladies, just, just bear with me just a second. If your husband's modeling Christ in the home and he's leading you and loving you and pointing you to the gospel and he's nourishing you with the word and he himself is cherishing you, isn't it going to be a whole lot easier to follow that command to see you? It actually might be a little bit of a joy because you know that your husband is following Christ with everything he has. Isn't it a little bit easier to look at what the gospel does in our marriage when we see it in the lens of how Christ and the church come together and then when we take the mantle of responsibility to provide the covering for our wives and our families that Christ Jesus did for His church? Yeah. And it's only possible when we submit ourselves to Him. I, I can't do it. I can't lead my wife and love her and nourish her and cherish her the way the Bible requires. I can't. But for Him, under His Lordship, under His authority, I have the ability and the strength to do it. So men, some of you in the room, maybe the first step that you've got to take right now is not to figure out a better way to lead, love, and cherish, and nourish, and purify. Maybe the first step you need to do is come and surrender yourself to Christ Jesus this morning. And place yourself under the mantle of His leadership, the mantle of His Lordship, the mantle of what He has called you to do. Ladies, maybe it's not just an issue of whether or not you should submit yourself to your husband, but you have not submitted to the Lord first. And we've got to get the gospel right so that we can get our marriages right, so that we can demonstrate to Fairburn and South Fulton that this God is serious about us and He transforms us by the power of the gospel today.